Revelation. And tonight we go to the 20th chapter. We're going to start here in verse number 1 and probably cover maybe down to verse 4 or 5. And we're going to be dealing with uh, this great removal and binding of Satan that we find here in verse 1 through verse 3. And then really the introduction of the millennial kingdom and all that's going to be taking place and going on. By way of introduction, when we think about the millennial kingdom, uh, he's coming for a number of reasons. He's coming, first and foremost, to rule the earth. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, chapter 96 and verse 13, Before the Lord, for he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth, and shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his trust. He says in Psalms 98 and verse number 9, Before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth, with righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with iniquity. So two verses very similar in their tone. And all of that's in reflection to what is taking place going into the millennial kingdom. That rod of iron as he sits upon his throne. And then that force of government being played out in a um, theocratical... Is that the right term? Um, it's, it's, well... Uh, being played out by the Lord. Let me just put it in a simple term there. Um, and so praise the Lord that he's going to rule. He's coming uh, as a king higher than any other king. The Bible says, Psalms chapter 72, verse 17, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. The men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. And the Bible says in Psalms 98, verse number 9, Before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth with righteousness, Shall he judge the world and the people, uh, people of iniquity? Again, those two verses talking about judging, being king, ruler, and authority over. And then he's coming that all nations will see him. All nations will see him. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse number 23, I have sworn by myself the word is going out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. And then he says in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 18, For I know their works and their faults. It shall come that I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. Specifics that we find here with the millennial kingdom on the rise. And this is really a word of gratitude and excitement. Great things are happening here. Utopia. Going back to the Garden of Eden, there is uh, a sense of, um, well, compared to what, we're, what, what, what the world's faced with now, a sense of uh, utopia, not fully and completely. We know that, understand that. Man's still going to have a human nature of sin, uh, yet that's where the rule of iron comes into to effect, and we thank God for it. But first, before we get to that, there's the removal of Satan, and he is ushered out. He is binded. And he is uh, removed from the scene. And we thank God for a thousand years. No longer to contaminate or pollute or to touch the lives or deceive or to lie and trick. And, uh, you know, if you can imagine still having that sinful nature in humanity, but there's also the influence of Satan himself upon uh, the world and uh, the cosmos. And as the Bible says, principalities and powers and rulers in dark places, these governments that are under control by the devil, being removed. And with that removal, there is liberation and freedom. You can only imagine what's going to take place. And as we go to the scriptures, 
we are going to study some of these things. It's really exciting. And so praise the Lord. Verse number one, the Bible says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, great chain in his hand. Can you imagine that sight? An angel come down from heaven. doesn't say much about the angel. It says what the responsibility and the job and the task of the angel is. Uh, there's a key. And that key is a sense of ownership and authority over. And as we think about a key, no doubt just on a spiritual note, who is the key? His name is Christ. Amen? If you will, look in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, down in verse number 18. The Bible says, I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen? And have the keys of hell and of death. May I say not only the keys of hell and of death, but he has the keys of the bottomless pit. And a great chain. You know, a great chain. Uh, what do we do with chains? We understand what chains are made out of. There may be a sense of supernatural power that God has ordained in those chains of binding that spiritual demon, that devil, the devil himself, Lucifer. But uh, it is a sense of being... Held captive. Let me remind you, go over to Mark chapter 5. And what we find here is, if you will, God Himself gives the devil a dose of His own medicine by these chains. He says in Mark chapter 5 and verse 1, And they came over into the other side of the sea, and into the country of the Gardereans. And when He was come out of the ship, immediately there met Him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. This is the devil's work, the demon's work who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could, what? Bind him, no, not with chains. That reversal is in full effect. Satan, he's going to be bound. You and I, in regards to Satan, we're no match, but we've got Christ on our side, amen? And we've got the helmet, we've got the sword, we've got the breastplate, we've got the girdle. We want to... Um, Stand, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And how do we do that in our day? By leaning upon the Lord, by following Christ, by serving and playing out what the Bible has for us to do. And yet it does my heart a great deal of good to know that God is going to give him a sense of his own medicine, a dose of his own medicine, being bound, held captive. The liberty and the freedom. Right now he has freedom, and that freedom is given to him by Christ. Uh, you, you, you realize that. And yet in the fullness of time, when things are final and come to that moment, and when God uh, is done, and what does that all mean? It, it means when the last, really that last person up to this point has the opportunity uh, of, of being saved in that, that tribulational setting. Um, you know, why is God tearing His coming now for people to be saved? Why do, you know, we've talked about that uh, amongst one another and with friends. Why doesn't God come back today? The world's getting worse and worse. How much worse does it have to get before He comes back? Well, the reality is He's waiting for one more person to come to Christ, one more soul to be saved, one more uh, uh, nugget of truth to be presented from His Word. And there's that sense of long-suffering and, and, and grace that God extends. And we see it in the tribulational period. And yet there's a close to that window of opportunity. And yet here we come... The, Horizon of a new opportunity. Uh, another economy that is presented here where Christ himself is in the physical body of his humanity. And for a thousand years, 
ruling and reigning. Their salvation is very similar to ours, but it's very different in the fact that almost, and not almost, in fact, as we have studied Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as they are preaching the gospel of the kingdom, all of those things that we find there, and I spoke about it this morning where the Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there he is in the midst. Uh, and I tried to give you that little nugget of truth that where one Christian is in the dispensation of grace, he's in the midst. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We use that principle a lot of times to talk about church growth and whatnot. And sometimes as a filler, praise God, where two or three are gathered, you know, when we've got a low crowd, you know. But really that's a point to be made for that millennial kingdom as Christ is sitting on his throne and those 12 disciples helping him with their own seats of authority and rule. And when two or three individuals are there in his name, that sense of government, that sense of leadership there, all those things that we are talking about, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the kingdom being implemented once again during this rule and reign of Christ. I think uh, just a very unique thought there that you can correlate uh, those gospel truths and put them here in chapter 20 and uh, talk about some of these things. We will. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Verse 2 says, And he laid hold on the dragon. I remember when I was a boy, my dad would get a hold of me every once in a while, as I do often with Caleb. And... Uh, Caleb's a good boy. I just pick on him sometimes. I probably shouldn't pick on him from the pulpit as much as I do. He's a good boy. He's a really good boy. And uh, thank God for him. Uh, but as a boy, I can remember my dad getting a hold of me, and that way of taking hold to me was maybe in the form of grabbing my shoulder or grabbing my arm. Can you imagine the touch of Christ except it not being in a sanctified way of blessing or provision, the touch of God being upon our life. We, you know, uh, Jacob wrestled with God and God touched his thigh and you, you saw that mark upon his body until he died. The anointing, if you will, of God. This is a different touch. It's a, it's a touch of uh, judgment. And I don't know exactly what the hand of God would look like, very similar hand, I, I would say, is ours. But And I don't know, uh, you know, if it was with great force. I think as he said, peace be still, and what happened? He just spoke it, the waves obeyed. There was a sense of calmness there. Um, we know that as Christ did in his earthly ministry, which is sinless, he, he was angry, and yet he didn't sin. And so that anger has come to the surface and it's, it's seen in his judgment and it's seen in this sense of laying hold on the dragon. Now what we're going to talk about tonight is found in verse 2 how there is a description of Lucifer himself. He is called the dragon. He's called the old serpent. Uh, he's called the devil. He's called Satan. And uh, praise the Lord, bound him a thousand years. Bound a thousand years. Years. So we're going to talk about the names there associated with him. Verse 3, And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, upon him, that he should deceive the nations, say it with me, no more. And then the, uh, the emphasis here is on the word till. Till the thousand years should be 
fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ. Notice that connection. Living and reigning with Christ. There's a sense of reward as they have died for Christ in that thousand year, excuse me, in that seven year tribulation, now being rewarded in a sense of leadership and sent out by and with authority, and yet they're living with and, and reigning with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired. Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. And shall go out and deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, a number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city that New Jerusalem. And fire came out down from heaven, uh, uh, from, from God out of heaven, and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and tormented and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there's uh, there's the passage of Scripture. Uh, let me just say a few things. The kingdom of God is coming to earth. The earth is going to be like the Garden of Eden once again, except it will be better, better because Jesus Christ is there. God Himself is there going to rule, governing the affairs of the world. And uh, I know that the Garden of Eden, in a sense of being without sin, uh, Adam and Eve was without sin, and yet uh, better in the sense that the leadership has been taken back. And there's a sense of um, um, uh, revival and, and, and just excitement in the air. Uh, this is what is known as uh, just God's goodness. Amen? This is God's goodness and God's doing. And uh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Let me give you basically four or five points tonight. And uh, hopefully this will this will be a blessing. We're going to first talk about Satan's names. The titles that are given to Satan. Who Satan is. These are a description about Satan. His responsibility. His job. His ministry of deception. And, and wickedness. His rule. His authority. Number one. He is a dragon. He is the spiritual power that stirs up the wickedness, brutal passions of people and governments stirred up by the dragon, causing people and governments to behave like nothing more than beasts. This is Satan. He is the dragon. When you think about a dragon, they come in many forms or many shapes. And um, two-headed dragon, three-headed dragon, but they're ugly in their presentation. And yet, uh, almost as a snake, because he was a snake at the beginning, having that subtle form and yet sly presentation, deceiving. Look over in Revelation chapter 12, down in verse number 2. 
He's the dragon. The dragon. Fierceness, fury, um, a sense of power and authority over. The Bible says in Revelation 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent. You notice those two things, titles, are given in the same sentence to give definition one to another. I've never seen a dragon, but I've seen a serpent. And that serpent has a movement to it. It has, in one sense of the word, maybe a beautiful attraction and a power to allure. Uh, my mind kind of goes on a carnal note to a Disney movie, uh, The Jungle Book, and the big snake that had his eyes that uh, captivated the little boy, you know. I think there's that thought here again to describe who Satan is, that he is a deceiver. The great dragon was cast out in the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. And he was cast into the earth, and as his angels were cast out with him. If you notice his direction, he's cast out, he's cast out, he's, he's cast out, kicked down, thrown out. And then we find here in verse number 1 of chapter 20, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit. He's going to be bound and cast out, cast down, thrown in. Uh, praise the Lord. In verse 3, And cast him into the bottomless pit. There's this sense of failure, this sense of defeat, this direction. He is continually uh, no hope. And, and um, you know, I don't, I don't know the mind of, uh, of the devil. I think it, it's maddening to even try to go there in your thoughts. Uh, and yet I, I have played this out in my mind in, in a sense a time or two. Just as you study the Bible, you wonder, as the devil knows the beginning from the ending, he's read this book more than probably any human has ever read it in their lifetime. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a genius when it comes to the Bible. Why? Because he's a manipulator of the Scriptures. He's a a polluter of the word of God. He is an angel of light, deceiving and uh, trickery. And yet he knows what's going to happen to him. And it's just a complete testimony of his rebellious spirit, his anarchy, his God-hating. It reminds us that he's not cute, that he's not funny. He's a dragon. This is not something that you allow your kids to play with. Why? Because a snake will bite that child. I mean, Sasha was at my house last spring and it was a gardener snake and I, I, oh, they freaked me out and she started making fun of me. Hey, stay away from that snake. It'll bite you. You know, it'll bite you. And this is what we find here, I think, with that, that title. Uh, number two, look with me in verse two. It says, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent. Again, those two titles given to him. He's a serpent. He's that old serpent. The spiritual power that deceives, seduces, beguiles, leads people into sin, into evil. It leads people to disobey, to ignore God, to neglect God's Word. Just a rehashing here and adding to as we kind of give commentary to this thought. Again, he is um, the dragon. He is the serpent. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And down in verse number 3. And this is what the Bible says about the serpent. And the serpent is mentioned in the very first book of the Bible. But I fear, verse 3, 
lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Man, he's doing that today, is he not? The church of Corinth, he was addressing some issues here. The simplicity of Christ. You know, when you think about salvation, man makes it so complicated. Man tries to add to it. And it's so simple. So simple that a child can understand. Praise the Lord. And from a child, Timothy, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Coming to salvation through his mother and his grandmother, their testimony and their faithfulness to the Word of God. Just the beauty of the simple word of God. And I think even on a deep theological level, if you will, uh, when we talk about different denominations and different theological perspectives, sometimes we make the Bible more deep than what it is. Or we try to. And I know it's a deep book. And it is a deep well. And it's something that is far greater in its depth than many cases uh, what we understand or even fully know. But yet at the same time, it, there's some simplicity to it. And I'm referring to specifics like Genesis. You know, why do people have to take the word day and make it mean something than what a day is? Six days. And yet what is one of the great battles with uh, the creation account? It's not a 24-hour period of time. Just one simple thought there, how uh, the devil does take the simplicity of the scriptures and he attacks the children of God. He's a serpent. He's a serpent. Then look with me back in our text, verse 2. It says, And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is bound, uh, which which is the devil. So he is the dragon. He's the old serpent. He is the devil. He is the devil. What does the title, the devil, mean? And let me stop here and say this. I think everyone worldwide, I'd, I'd say if not everyone, the majority of people know what the title of de the devil means, especially in America. Um, and yet translations today want to make it more complicated. Let's call him Beelzebub. Taking that simplicity of just the title, you know, like hell, and trying to change it, making it, uh, more than more complicated. Yeah, there, there's a beauty to the King James Bible. And let me say this: there's such confusion in our churches today when it comes to the authority of God's word. Man, wouldn't it be so great to get back just with a consistency of God's word? You know, my wife and I, we, we talk about, and I know other people in our church do too, when it comes to Christian school and putting your children in a, in a Christian school. I want my kids to go to Christian school where. Um, they use the right Bible. And uh, they're memorizing the right Bible. And there's a sphere of consistency. And, and uh, you know, why? Because your minds are sensitive to these things. And the devil, he twists them and, and perverts. And, uh, you know, we're homeschooling right now. And there's that beauty of having that authority over, in a sense, what they're learning. But, uh, um, again, the Bible is so important, so important. The devil, he's the spiritual power that slanders. That's really what his title, this name, means. He's a slanderer. He's a liar. He's a murderer. Murderer. And uh, we see this. Look in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 
John chapter 8, verse 44. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, bode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, excuse me, when he when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of. Great definition. You know, let me teach you here. A lot of times we take words or names that we find in the Bible and go to a different book to give definition of those names and words. And I understand you can do that, but it's always good when the Bible gives definition to the word or to the name. You can't have a better definition of who the devil is than found in that verse right there. This is the title of, of who he is as a leader and uh, organizer, and it speaks of his lust. It speaks of what he is going to do. He's a murderer. He abode, abode not in the truth. Why? Because no truth is. What is he? He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Uh, back in our text, we've got our fourth time. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan. Now I just saw this. Back up the very first part. And he laid hold on the dragon. That what? Old. Meaning, since the beginning, he's been there. He's been there. Uh, this is a, not a new game. We don't have to be ignorant of it. You know, sin is still sin. Yet in our world today, they want to put a fancy label on it to appease. You know, um, we don't want anyone to feel uncomfortable. Well, sin is still sin, and the devil is still the devil. And he's been around. He's been around for a long time, and uh, he's old. His message is old. His ministry is old. His his work is old. And here's the, the fourth word, his title, Satan, and Satan. Satan, the spiritual power that accuses, opposes, and stands as an enemy to God and his followers. Satan leads his followers, the ungodly and the evil of the world, to accuse, to oppose, to oppose, to stand against the believer. To the point, even in the tribulational setting, to persecute and to kill. And even today, he does that. He is... He is Satan. Look in uh, John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Now when you know the Bible, let me give you something else to think about. I try my very best when it comes to specifics to use the language of the Bible. For example... Homosexuality is a word that's been ascribed to this certain sin act or this lifestyle by the world. Whereas the Bible refers to that lifestyle and that decision not as homosexuality. What does it refer to it as? Sodomy. That word within itself, sodomite, is a sting of rebuke and reproach to that person's actions. And when the Bible gives a certain name, as a Bible believer, it's good to hold to those names, those titles, because it allows us to have this umbrella of safety, this protection. This is the Word of God, not me. 
You know, and as times have changed, what's another word given to that certain sin? Gay, which meant at one time happy. And so that perversion, this is what the devil does. Why? Because in his real presentation of himself, that's what John is allowing us to see here. This is what the devil is. This is who the devil is. He's not going to tell you he's the devil. You think the devil's going to come to you and say, hey, nice to meet you, I'm the devil. I'm Satan. I'm the old serpent. I'm the dragon. No, he's not. Why? Because those titles mean things. And a lot of people today, they laugh at these titles. They make fun of these titles. They kind of joke with these titles. But he says here in John chapter 13, verse 27, And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Who's the him there? Judas. And said, then said Jesus unto him, Thou that doest, do quickly. He has an ability to enter in. His demons do. That possession of, that ownership, power over. And uh, man, he's just, he's wicked. He's wicked. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 4. I think why God has put these titles in the specific location of the scripture that he has it's because of what's about to take place. He's bound and he's cast off. He's kicked off. He's thrown off into the bottomless pit. Why? Because these titles give us the reason for his judgment. What he has done. This is all that he has done. He's guilty for this and for this and for this and for this. Matthew chapter 4. He says down in verse number 10. Then saith Jesus unto him. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Notice verse 11. Then the devil leaveth him. And behold, if angels came and ministered unto him. No, just as Christ has many names that are ascribed to him, so does the devil. These different names that are ascribed to Christ talk about his different attributes. And I think that's what we see here as well. I personally believe that his... His name that would be more on a personal level. The name of Jesus would be his name of, uh, of his person. I think you can find that same consistency here with Satan. His name of his person is Satan. Um, verse 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. Get thee hence, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Look with me in Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, verse number 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Again, just another scripture to talk about his name. And um, again, I think that the reason why these titles are here in this specific place is because of judgment that's about to be taking place. Look second of all at the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit. And we'll say just a few thoughts about it. Kind of um, go into one more area of what we're dealing with here. He says in verse 1 of Revelation, And I saw an angel 
come down from heaven having the keys, the, excuse me, the key of the bottomless pit. That's an important thought there. The word key, not keys. It could be that you have two doors to a house with the same key. But I think what we find here is this thought of one entry and one entry only. There's no escape. There's one way in, one way out. And again, being bound. If you will, it could be stated that there's a sense of two keys or locking mechanisms because he talks about the chains. The chains are going to bind his person, his physical body. Look over in the book of Jude. You see a similar note given to other demons. Go to Revelation and just turn back to Jude. Um, Look in verse 5. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting what? Chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Uh, a similar note, these these angels. What, what's the specific about these angels? They were judged, as the Bible says, they left their their uh, own habitation. They left their they kept not their first estate. And many people go back to the book of Genesis where it talks about um, as the, the the sons of God uh, coming into the daughters of men and bringing forth this race of giants. And then this is a repercussion of judgment on their part for that sin. Uh, and I think there's some truth there. But we find these rebellious angels, uh, rebellious demons, and they are held reserved in everlasting chains. Everlasting, that word meaning, I think, a sense of as maybe metal might rust or decay, chains kind of break. This thought of everlasting, unbreakable. So... Maybe there's a similar note here in chapter 20. The devil, he has this chain that's on him. There's this everlasting sense. I don't know how Christ is going to lock it up, except with my thinking a key and a lock, but maybe it's built in all in one. But nevertheless, he has a key to the bottomless pit. And the bottomless pit, verse 3, cast him into the bottomless pit and what? And shut him up. And then this thought of setting a seal. Setting a seal upon him. Now, I don't know how to, to really view that because when you, you just view it the way the Bible says, it says set a seal upon him. On him. When Lazarus was dead, where did he go? into a grave. What did they put over the grave? A stone. Because you remember at the resurrection of Lazarus, what did Christ say? Go move the stone. When Christ was dead, where, where did he go? In grave. A stone. They, I'm, I'm referring to this thought as a sense of seal. There's another way of thinking about a seal. A seal uh, meaning something hasn't been tampered with. When you buy medication, 
and you take the top off and there's that seal, you know that it's fresh, it's good, it's not been tampered with, or a drink, it's fresh, it's, it's good. You might buy a drink, but the seal's been broken, you're going to think twice about drinking that drink just because that uncertainty. What we have here is that the seal is upon him. I don't know exactly how that is going to play out, but there's a key, a chain, a door, he's shut in, and there's a seal on him. It may be this seal on him is that Christ himself puts this constraint, this physical constraint, on top of the other constraints where this seal he cannot bind, he cannot break. But that's what I, I, I kind of tend to think. Um, this seal, this seal upon him. Look in Revelation chapter 5. And look down in verse 1. We'll read to verse 7. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within. And on the back side, what? Sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel for proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book? Strong angel. Now the question is, is the devil stronger than this strong angel? And the answer would be absolutely. Absolutely. Michael the archangel in the book of Jude dare not to bring railing accusations against the devil. So again, in that sense of hierarchy, as there is the big dog, Satan, and then under that chain of command, lesser and lesser power and ability. A strong angel is asking this question because he's not able to loose the seal. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth. I noticed that, verse 3. No man in heaven. Praise the Lord. Again, another passage talking about heaven. No man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon, not even to open it, much less to look on it, was able to look on it. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion. Now we heard about the attributes of the devil, the titles of the devil. Well, here's some titles of Christ. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed. Hath prevailed to what? To open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Seven! Being loose seven, don't you think? Being loose one? Or if you will, if he can give the book the seven seals, don't you think he can give... A seal, one, over? If a mighty strong angel couldn't unloosen the seals, and the seals were there because of the power and the doing of God, and he was the only one able to unloosen, who do you think prepared the bottomless pit for the devil? Christ. Who do you think prepared the chains? For the, for, for the everlasting chains of judgment for those demons in, in uh, Jude? The, the Lord, Christ. Who do you think here... In, Genesis, uh, Revelation chapter 20 did this same thought. Christ and bound him a thousand years. Here he is. Again, that seal being a sense of um, assurance, 
protection, preserving. What is he being? What is happening to Satan right now? There's a sense of judgment here. He's cast him to the bottomless pit, shut up a thousand years. But that final judgment hasn't happened. So there's preservation on his being until that day happens. And that seal has been set. Look in verse 3 of chapter 20. And cast him to the bottomless pit and shut him up. Two things there. Two things there. And every parent knows what I'm talking about. Go to your room. What does that mean? Privacy for the mom and dad. Right? And a little bit of relief from time to time. But also, shut up. What was he shut up? He, he was contained. He could have yelled. He can yell as loud as he wants. He can scream until he's blue in the face. Nobody's going to hear him. He's shut up. There's, there's no action that's going to follow through. Um, he's, the, he's the one that's cast off into this pit, cast into the bottomless pit and shut up and set a seal upon him that he should what? Deceive the nations no more. He can't do that. He can't get out. He can't speak. And, you know, I was asking Noah the other day that old um, question, if a tree falls in the woods and you're not there to hear it, does it still make a sound? Well, that similar note could be said about the devil. If he's in the bottomless pit and you're not there to hear him, does he still make a sound? It doesn't really matter. <laughs> but he's no more able to deceive until the thousand years should be fulfilled. And I like that word fulfilled. Why? Because it speaks volumes to the authenticity and the value of God's word. God's word is trustworthy, isn't it not? You know, these things is... First Thessalonians chapter 4 going to happen. They that are dead in Christ shall rise first. Sure. Is he going to return? Sure. Uh, is this thousand year going to be fulfilled? Absolutely. And um, I, I hold to that sense of uh, security. I know that my Bible is safe. It's trustworthy. It is not the words of man. It's the word of God. And uh, it does my heart a great deal of good just to know that... Uh, these things are going to come to pass. And then that little season, we'll talk about that little season later on. And I don't know if there's really a lot to really say about that little season other than the fact that he's going to do what he does. He's going to go forth and receive. Again, as the Bible already states, that there's going to be a number of people as the sand on the, on the seashore. Can you imagine multitudes of people living for a thousand years, having victory over diseases, victory over war, uh, leadership by a perfect being, uh, which is which is God, Christ, and um, all of His leaders being in that same element of perfection, because those men are dead, and they're in heaven, right? The twelve disciples, they're going to come back, sinless bodies, right? Amen. And then hear these people being born in this kingdom. And still having that sinful nature. And yet at the end of it. The rebellious in their heart. To follow for a short season. Uh, it really closed my mind. Does anyone have something to say or thought? There's some good stuff. I hope it encourages you. We, 
we're coming down to the nitty gritty. I'm really excited, Brother Mo. Uh, I've been studying about you know some of the things that we were talking about a few weeks ago about uh, the Bride of Christ. And I've got something that hopefully will be good. I, I, I I'm pretty confident that this is this is where I stand. So it'll be good to talk about. But uh, we'll probably get to that here in chapter 20, uh, 21. The Lamb's wife, New Jerusalem, and we'll talk about some of those things. So, just what two more chapters? 22, 21. Well, and the rest of 20, so three more chapters. We got another six months here. Amen. <laughs> Good deal. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your people that are faithful. God, we pray for the Gleasons. We pray for the Hefners. Lord, we pray. Um, trying to think of those. That, um, Lou Ann and Kyle and Brittany, Lord, I think about Brother Ben not being here today and missing him in the sound area. Uh, Lord, I pray for other ones that I failed to, to remember. Um, Brother Don and Miss Renee, the Ungers. Uh, Lord, we just miss our family, our church family. God, we thank you for the place that we have. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would help us this spring, this summer, and this fall as we go all through these beautiful warm seasons that would help us to not only love our families, take time for them, God, please help us to put time into soul winning. Lord, to invite people to church. God, I pray that you help this church to grow. I pray that you're bringing new visitors. I pray uh, as even uh, some have come, and Lord, that you would uh, just encourage them. God, please, to be a part of this church, to be saved. God, do something great. It's your church. It's your ministry. We just want to be obedient to the word that we have. Lord, the time that we have, I know we're all busy. And Lord, life is busy. And so please help us to do our very best. Make an effort. Take time to be holy. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.